Hello again. It is WISPIT by Angela. WISPIT, abbreviated, stands for Women and Wisdom in Socially Powerful and Interesting Times. As always, I thank you, my listeners, for taking the time out of your busy schedules to listen to my podcast. And as always, it is my hope that anyone and everyone who tunes in will be enriched, edified, and spiritually touched to move beyond the challenges of this life and rise from the ashes of this limited existence to a higher elevation of thinking and creativity. Today, I have a guest that is very dear to me. She is a definite blast from my past with a truly remarkable story. Debbie is a breast cancer survivor who has not only survived breast cancer, but other dark days in her life as well, and has come out on the other side spiritually uplifted and ready to pass on the wisdom of her remarkable journey. Debbie and I were musicians in a church together at one point, in total synchrony and musically. It was like poetry in motion when we played together. She played the piano and I played the organ. Debbie can also be found on YouTube under the title Deborah Story. And in addition, she has a book that is soon to be produced called I Am Her Too. So today, Debbie will take us on a journey, not only about the things we can't see because of our pain, but the remarkable journey of discovery and blessings in her life. So I present to you, my friend, Debbie. So hello, Debbie. Well, hello, Dr. Angela. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing much better now that I am here speaking to you. So I would like to start off with you giving the introduction to our listeners about who you are, where you've come from, and where you're going to. Mm. Well, as you all may already know, my name is Deborah. My all of my friends and acquaintances call me Debbie. I am a 61-year-old grandmother of five. Very proud of that. I am a breast cancer survivor, and I like to use the word breast cancer thriver because I'm not just surviving, I'm thriving. And I love that. And most importantly, I am a child of the most heavenly high and mighty king, who is bringing me on the most phenomenal life journey that I could possibly, I could have never even imagined all this. So I'm excited of what's going on in the present and what has happened in the past, but I'm real excited about what's coming up in the future. Excellent. Now, audience, I hope you noticed how excited she is but she also said she's a breast cancer survivor. So when we often hear cancer, let alone breast cancer, it often brings up feelings of pain or sadness. But as you can tell from her voice and her attitude, she may have cancer, but cancer doesn't have her. So let me say that again. She may have cancer, but cancer doesn't have her. So. I would like to jump right in to how our paths crossed, and then we're going to go into 
what I call her dark days. Now, this is an aspect of Debbie's life that she doesn't often want to talk about. I know because I was there. Her doctors don't even know. But I talked with her to let her know how crucial it is to even express this dark day to her doctors. Because as we all know, stress and anxiety and fear bring on many diseases. So Debbie, I would like you to tell our audience how our paths crossed, and then I want you to go into that dark day. Absolutely. Well, our paths crossed in the most wonderful and upbeat kind of way. Uh, we met at a mega church in the South, and um, as both of us being musicians, it didn't take us long to connect. Um, I was a singer in my early years, but by the time I met you, I was pretty much exclusively a pianist accompanist for, uh, for other singers and choirs, groups and chorales and things of that nature. Now, you were a singer and you were an organist and a pianist, and we found that we had a commonality in that we both loved gospel music. And this love of gospel music was like a unifying glue, if you will. It just opened up so many doors and windows for us. We were able to talk and laugh, and people actually would look at us and scratch their heads and wonder, how are they such good friends? Why are they so close? <laughs> uh, the choir we were in was a big, I would classify it as pretty much a mega choir. We had, we had a lot of members in this choir. Definitely. But Angela and I stood out as people knew we were buddies. And we were friends. We could sit in a corner and giggle and laugh about something, and nobody would ever know what in the world are those two up to. But we had a click, and we had a common mindset that just was there every day. I, I don't ever remember um, a, a time of a crossword or uh, an angry moment. I remember a lot of laughter, hugs, mm -hmm. uh, just beautiful, just just beautiful, beautiful days together, and tons and tons of music. We both had the same level of excitement when we heard certain gospel songs, and, and we were always looking for things we could work on together. And, and I said, well, if I do this and you do that, it's going to sound extra great, and we just sit and scream and holler because we knew we were on to something. So um, that's how we, that's how our paths crossed. Music was our common denominator. And, and then our, 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 the sync of our personalities just took over. It just took over. Mm -hmm. And then tell them about, or you know what? I'll tell you about this audience. After rehearsals were over our church, and anybody that knows Debbie, Debbie has a smile that will light up a <laughs> room, okay? So when I also selected this, this title, The Things We Can't See Because of Our Pain, Debbie is a person who is good, no, great, no, excellent. She is an, mm. a person who is excellent <laughs> at hiding her pain. She would, she would smile, but you know how you can look at someone and you'll say, you're smiling, but your face is saying something else. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I approached Debbie on several occasions about that because I just noticed just a few things. And so occasionally when we would have to play for the church, I would look over at the piano because the organ and the piano were fairly close to each other. And I would think, where in the world is she? And so she shared with me that she was going through some other health challenges. I'd rather her tell you this. And so what I decided to do was I would always have her her music selections already on the on the piano uh, for her so that when she came up, she didn't have to, you know, adjust anything. Now, I want you to also understand this, too, which I always thought was cute. Now, I'm going to approximate here. I think she's about five, two maximum. Five one. Okay, five one. I was going to say that. Now, I'm about five, seven. And she would wear these high heels, just the cutest thing you ever want to see. And so here I'm taller and she's just shorter and she'd come up there. But let me tell you, she was a dynamo on that keyboard. So I started noticing that a lot of these smiles seem to have a lot of hidden pain. And so I'm going to step back here at this moment and I'm going to let Debbie step forward and tell you about this one dark day that happened in both of our lives? Mm. Well, I'll never forget it, and I, I know you will never forget it either. But what a lot of people didn't know is that back then, I was a rather newly diagnosed type 2 diabetic. And as such, I was in a learning curve of how to take care of myself and what foods to eat, how much hydration I needed, and sleep, and other factors that can help you do uh, your best and live your best life with type 2 diabetes. I was learning. But what happened is that because I was extremely down on my fortunes at that time, I had no money. My children were in school and they were leaving, which was sort of making me an empty nester and causing me a lot of depression at the time. Um, And I just didn't have the funds, I didn't have the resources to buy the food and the the different things that I needed. What no one knows, this is actually the first time I'm revealing this, is that I actually did not have the money for my medication, my diabetic medication. I got by on the kindness of a doctor who gave me drug rep samples of my meds. And that is actually how I was able to even get medicine to try to control the diabetes. And so things were very hard for me, hard for me. And one day, um, without uh, prearranging it, uh, you came over to my apartment, which I was horribly ashamed because I had a, a tiny little place that was not in great condition. It wasn't in the most pristine neighborhood. And I just didn't have people over. And um, I was ashamed. I was ashamed and I was I was not at my healthiest. So I didn't feel my best. And so but you came over just like you were stepping into the Taj Mahal. You stepped <laughs> into the into the apartment and you looked around and you said, well, well, hi Debbie, how are you doing? And what's going on? And I think I tried to muster up a, a, a smile, but you saw through that. You saw through that and you went into the kitchen of your own volition. <laughs> opened that refrigerator and you said, come on, girl, we're going to the store. 
both mortified. I was wringing my hands with just shame. But I was so glad that you were not one of these Christians that that, that say, and we, we hear it too often, I'll be praying for you, girl, or mm. I'll, uh, you know, God's going to bless you. No, you said, come on now, right now, mm-hmm. get your purse. We're going to go to the going to go to the grocery store when we got to the grocery store there was zero humiliation you never treated me like now look i'm gonna give you this food and you're gonna stay within this budget and you're only gonna get or i think you should get this or i think you should you didn't do that we walked up and down each aisle and you said what kinds of things do you like to eat that's a healthy choice what kinds of things do you need would you like a magazine to read sometime when you're home? Would you like to? It went beyond uh, what any friend of mine or any acquaintance of mine had ever done then or since then. And I knew at that point there was a, a lock, a click that had happened from my heart to your heart that would never ever be broken. I could not believe um, that you didn't just reach out, but you reached out in love. There was no boasting. There was no uh, humiliation involved or anything. We came back with so many groceries. Um, I'm telling you, my house, my whole kitchen had a whole new decor, and it was called food because (laughs) it was filled with food. (laughs) I was like, oh, I've got food, I've got food, I've got food. I could open my cupboard, I could open my fridge, and that food lasted so long, and it got me on the right path. And things have gotten better over time, but when you go through things like that, and you have a friend like that, someone reaches down and lifts you know, so that she's not just climbing, you're climbing with her. Oh, wow. You know, it wasn't just enough that we were friends, but she wanted me to come along with her. You wanted me to come along with you. And um, you, you, you didn't hold it against me. My, you know, some people say, well, you know, she's got all this talent. I can't approach her. This, I was a human being to you. I was just a regular lady who needed love and who needed some help and you were there and you didn't talk about helping you didn't pray about helping you helped you stepped in and And that's what um, friends are supposed to do but do you mind if i i share something with you i don't i don't know if i ever told you this but i want the audience to know that the day i decided to go over to debbie's place I can't really tell you exactly why, but it was such an emotional pull. And it was similarly to, or similar to, excuse me, it was similar to what I felt last night when I reached out and I could not sleep because something said I needed to call her. Now, I just found out yesterday that Debbie is a breast cancer survivor just 24 hours ago. Mm-hmm. And so I have found throughout my life that when that intuition hits me, it is something that pulls me so greatly that it just won't turn me a loose. Mm-hmm. And so that day there was something that happened 
in the church setting that really just lowered my spirit. Well, at that time period, I was a member of that church. Debbie was not. And so we were also from different um, Christian faiths, but we both believed in God, which that's what Christianity is, or at least should be. And so I was, uh, or am Baptist, and Debbie was from the Adventist faith. And so in my life and in my family, that should not have mattered because my mother is naturally Catholic and my father was Baptist. And people said, how in the world did that work? And I said, well, you know, I practiced the Baptist faith and I went to parochial schools. It seemed to all work, you know, because we, we shared the commonality of the love of God. Well, at this particular church, and it's not at this church, but I'm just going to step out here and say something that, you know, you might agree with, you might not, but you know what? This is my truth, and I just want you to know that. Well, at this particular church, it had come to, um, I guess, our um, attention that some things were changing where I think to lock in musicians, they wanted people to be members of the church. And so please forgive me, audience, when I say this, but I just think the truth is still going to be the truth, which is still going to be the truth. And oftentimes as musicians, particularly when people are very talented like Debbie is, and churches sometimes try to control that. And that's why Debbie knows that I had one rule and I always played for churches and I would never allow them to pay me. And so in my mind, I never allowed them to pay me because I never wanted them to control me because throughout my life, I loved music, but it was that level of control that used to take the love of music away. And so when I found out that in this church that that was going to be one of the requirements, I thought, wait a minute, we have this, this dynamic choir and everybody gets along and, you know, it's just such a wonderful sound and the acoustics. I mean, everything was just, it was like poetry in motion. You know, my best friend in music and, and spiritually was there with me on Sundays. And when I found out that she may not be there, it was disheartening to me. Actually, you know what? I'll be honest with you. It made me cry. And that's when I noticed that she wasn't there at the keyboard on more than one occasion. And I went to look for her Mm -hmm. and no one at this church even knew that Debbie was a diabetic. No one knew that she couldn't afford her medications. I, I knew that no one knew that behind all those smiles was a lot of pain. So you wonder why I picked the topic, the things we can't see because of our pain. So I say to people, we go through all this stuff in in life and in the world. And we watch all of this negativity on TV and this constant bickering from a political standpoint, from a social standpoint, you know, just life. And sometimes with the pain in our lives, we forget about the fact that we're human beings. With feelings, emotions, we have our highs, we have our lows. We may be mothers, fathers, grandmothers, 
aunts, uncles, etc. But when does it come to a point that we slow down enough to pay attention to our brother or our sister to the right or the left? When is it that we come off of our accolades of whatever our day-to-day titles are, doctors, lawyers, whatever the case may be, politicians, councilmen, councilwomen, mayors, governors, etc., to actually understand that we can and we should make a difference in others' lives. Well, that has always been the challenge for me. That's what I want to do. That's why I went into medicine. And right now with COVID-19 and all these other things that are going on, we get so caught up in the fight between vaccinations or not vaccinating that we actually forget that we are dealing with human lives. So the dark days, some things we have choices with. So I'm going to move past the dark days and now I'm going to present to Debbie Tell me when the change occurred in your life that you no longer saw it as a dark day, but as an opportunity. Well, I would say that as I progressed onward with my type two diabetes, of course, I heard all of the warnings about that we have a higher risk of heart attack and stroke. Um, Amputations are common with diabetics. But I saw myself going in a direction I wanted to go. I saw myself trimming down a little bit. Sometimes the medicine can have the effect of trimming off 10 or 15 pounds. I saw myself still able to play piano. I saw myself still able to have a desire to look nice, to dress nice, to laugh with my friends. to be genuine with people. And so I have to say it wasn't just one moment, but it was a collection of moments that I started realizing that the Lord was saying, this is just one hurdle. This was just one little test for you. Keep going. And as long as I know that the Lord is walking with me and talking with me and right there beside me, that's a good day. That's a happy day. Because nothing's going to happen when your best, best friend in life, the Lord Jesus Christ is right there with you. He's seen it all. He knows it all. He can fix it all. And so it was a realization, you know, that this wasn't going to take me out. Diabetes wasn't going to be my swan song. I was going to have, something but i will tell you that in the back of my mind i always felt there's more for you to do you're going to have more ministry didn't know when it was going to happen didn't know how it was going to happen or what it was going to be but i knew that diabetes was nothing but a precursor to something else that was going to come out in my life later on down the road but in the meantime i took it one day at a time and i dressed as cute as I could and (laughs) styled my hair and bought all the shiny sparkly shoes I could find Mm -hmm. and stepped out there and uh, kept playing and kept having fun with music and choirs and doing my part. But I knew I had a feeling there's more to your ministry than these music notes. These are powerful 
and I need you to do this, there's something even bigger looming ahead for you. That's right. And can you please talk with the audience, particularly women, when they go through cancer and the treatments and they lose their hair and how um, we often equate our beauty to our hair and we're so much more than that. But you know, mm -hmm. it's often easier said than done. Would you mind talking with us about that? I would be happy to, because that is something very near and dear to my heart is my hair. Now I have to tell you, I've struggled with my hair my whole life. I remember being a teenager in high school, going for my senior picture. And as I was walking out of the house, my mother said to me, oh, wait, let me do your hair. And I said, I already did. <laughs> and <laughs> I was always hair challenged as far as how to fix it and how to do it. But I was happy because I had thick hair. I had uh -huh. a lot of it. So I felt that got me by. It was okay. always wild, but it was there, mm -hmm. you know. So it was, a, it was a really good thing. But when I got diagnosed with breast cancer, one of the very first things they talked about was hair loss. And I thought to myself, who cares about hair? You know, we're fighting for our lives. You know, hair, hair. You could, I could buy a wig. I could buy a weave. I could, I could do anything. You know, who cares about my hair? But I'm going to tell you this. It was a huge deal. And they told me after chemo starts, maybe after about the first 22 days, you're going to get hair dropping out all over the place. Well, as I got closer and closer to that time frame, I said, no, nope, my hair's not falling out. I'm going to be the one person that doesn't lose her hair from chemo. <laughs> and I remember one day around that time, just like clockwork, I was in the shower and I was shampooing my hair and I said, some is not right today <laughs> and there was I opened my eyes from the shampoo and there was hair all over the oh, all man. over the tub all over the shower wall all in my hands and I said this is it it's starting mm -hmm. now I'm gonna tell you when I went bald I went bald I went big time bald um there were no wisps left there was no eyebrow no eyelash no, nothing. That hair was gone. And so I think I had one strand, maybe two, just a clinging on, just, just refusing to drop the fight. You know? So I went to Supercuts and I said, look, just take them out. Take these two hairs out because they're not going to let go on their own. Okay. And, and, and she said, okay, okay. And she was so sweet. I said, I've I'm a breast cancer patient and most of my hair is gone. I said, but please, whatever you see up there, any little sprigs that are holding on, let's just clean it off. I wow. said, and I have to tell you, I'm so self-conscious about, you know, going out in public with a bald head. Mm -hmm. I've never done that. I'm as confident as I am. I mean, I could play at Carnegie Hall mm -hmm. if you ask me to play the piano. But baldness, you know, I, I couldn't fathom it. And I would not be telling you the truth if I told you it didn't mess with me. And I went down and I tried on wig after wig after wig after wig. And I, I thought about gluing hair on. I thought about 
about just getting a cap and trying to regrow it and medications and oils and ointments. And finally I said, I can't do this. I, it's not me. After be, if, you, if people laugh at me, if people look at me, they have to do it. And when I took all that stuff off, I said, Lord, you'll, you'll, you'll lead me to the right people who will encourage me. And I was shocked people did. So many women have either been through it or going through it or heading towards it. And um, when they see you, when they saw me out there laughing, mm-hmm. still playing in concerts with a bald head, <laughs> doing my thing, it encouraged them and they would come up to me and speak on that. That's right. And so your confidence and your joy, you think I'm just one person, who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but you as a one single person, you have a lot of power over how others see themselves too. And I learned that and it just strengthened me more and I just laughed more and I just found the cutest jewelry and makeup and lipstick and just went on out there and showed that head off and was happy. It was all good. So audience, we now see that whether your source of pain may be cancer or anxiety or fear or whatever it may be. You are the driver of your destiny. You get to make the decision about being able to move past your pain, being able to see the things past your pain, not because of your pain. So I would like Debbie to give our audience a few words of wisdom or whatever it is that you would like to say. But most importantly, I don't want our audience to forget that Debbie has a book coming out and her book is entitled, I am her too. Again, it is, I am her too. So Debbie, what would be your words of wisdom? I would speak to you, to all the listeners personally, and I would say statistics show that cancer affects one in eight women. This was the last statistic that I saw. Mm -hmm. And I just knew I would be one of the seven. The odds were with me. I had no history of breast cancer, like many of you don't have that. I'd never smoked cigarettes. I didn't understand what was bringing about this in my life. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, when you're chosen to be that one that does get it, at some point, once you get over the initial fear of the diagnosis, because the diagnosis is, is a clobber right between the eyes. It's a big one. But once that sinks in slowly and you get it, you will understand what a privilege it is to be that one. Mm. that your voice is powerful enough to take this message out to so many women and men that need to hear that there is still a thriving mechanism beyond the diagnosis. The cancer can be treated with medication, with chemo, with radiation, with therapy, there are so many things that we have in modern day and modern science to combat so many types of cancers. But what they haven't invented is how to move past that fear. 
Mm. Once you can get past that and hand it over to the Lord, nothing else is going to bother you. That disease is not going to bother you. You're going you're gonna to take that disease and wear it out there while you encourage others. It will empower you. And you can say, I speak not from what I read, but from what I know. Mm. I'm two and a half years out from my diagnosis and going strong. And my voice is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So yes, when I say I am her too, I'm, I'm, I'm also the one that got it. But thank you, Jesus, for letting me be the one that has it. So I can come out and tell people and talk to them, encourage me. This is this is a fantastic ministry. Yes, it is. It's fantastic. It's powerful. So my word of encouragement is that if you're going through this, understand it's not an accident. It's by design. It's because you've got somewhere in you a voice strong enough to encourage someone else. And that is what life is about. We are walking each other down our journey towards our home our heavenly home helping each other as we go so listeners i have absolutely nothing to add but again i just want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening again it is whispered by angela whispered abbreviated stands for women and wisdom in socially powerful and interesting times And please feel free to follow me on Instagram at A-R-Wispit. That is A-R-W-I-S-P-I-T. Thank you.